Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi, it's Michael McNutt with Weedy. This is from another one of our fantastic health equity workgroup meetings. And if you're a Weedy member, feel free to attend these anytime they're available. Contact Samantha Holvey. She's available on our website, wedi.org, if you're interested in attending our health equity workgroup meetings or any of our workgroup meetings. Today from Optum, Mark Majerian walks through how Optum is leveraging data to address health disparities. I'll go through this pretty quickly. I'll, I'll pause for questions. Feel free to, to um, you know, uh, ask anything you want. I don't have any sort of, um, you know, predefined uh, set of topics. I was just going to go generally through some of the things we're doing with um, health equity, health disparities, uh, social determinants of health, and all those other sorts of things. Um, as you probably know, uh, United Healthcare being one of the largest healthcare organizations, frankly, being one of the largest organizations in the world, we have not only a, a, a massive amount of healthcare data, but one of the things I actually am proud of is we do take a, a responsibility around being able to leverage that data. And more importantly, not just keeping it to ourselves, but also publishing reports and publishing findings. So one of the things I, I guess I'll initially draw your attention to is something that is a very uh, well-supported and, and well-regarded effort here within the United Healthcare, which is the America's Health Rankings. This is an ongoing piece of work. There are a series of reports that get produced. Some of them get produced once a year. Other, other reports within these are produced every few years. It's publicly available information. There's no PHI. There's nothing that you have to worry about there. You know, simply go to the link americashealthrankings.org and you will see a series of reports and findings and insights. And some cases you can even go and, and download some of the source data that went in it, into these. And this is a, like I said, this is a big initiative. You can read all the reports and click on all the various places here to get uh, a little bit more detail about it. Let me show you a few of the examples and um, I will um, definitely have time to take any questions that you guys might have about this data. This is something that I'm directly involved in to some extent, even though I'm not really the one that ultimately publishes it. So we can look at things like um, in the national findings, they have broken out things such as challenging trends and positive trends. So as you can imagine, with all this data going in, you have you know patient reported data, you have claims data, you have all these public data sources, in some cases combined with our own internal proprietary data sources. And again, as a company that feels a, a responsibility to be able to make these sorts of things available, you know, you'll see these challenging trends. Some of these should cause any of us, you know, reasons for concern, things like these. And I'll just go through a few of these. I'm not going to exhaust the whole list, but you can see here, you know, things about 2.7x um, prevalence of physical activity among older patients. Um, Here's one, um, 2.9x 
early death rate among black older adults compared to multiracial and Asian older adults, which were the groups with the lowest rates. Those are pretty high disparities. And in any of these trends, you know, you can have access to the underlying data that makes these up. Again, just as a reminder, all of this is under the parent uh, site, which is the America's Health Rankings. You can see all of these, you know, challenging trends. You can see positive trends. We've talked in you know, we've talked in past meetings about how largely healthcare is now conducted digitally. So you have positive trends about access to high-speed internet. You have things like food insecurity down for certain populations. And so this, this area is where we have some of these trends broken down into positive and, and challenging trends. I'll go through a few more of these um, and pause for questions, of course. You have... Um, Different ways of exploring the data. You can explore data by areas of concern, by, um, you know, by state, by different categories, by doing different reports, by in some cases even reading like, here's a report on seniors, here's a report on mental and behavioral health, and the specific measures and subpopulations that make that up. You can even go in and get these infographics. So imagine I'm going to go in, I'm going to pull this infographic, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to see all of these summaries that if somebody really wanted to go pull this into their own presentations or use in their own talks, you know, there's a lot of very good information found within this. So, you know, I just kind of picked one here at random. You know, this is trends in mental distress by age, all broken out into these age groups. And... There's just a wealth of information you can find here uh, under this America's Health Rankings, which we, like I said, we publish annually. And I'll, I'll pause there for a few questions on that. So how often is this data refreshed? Is it something where you get updates every month and then you publish annually? Or do you do a big <clears throat> data poll at the end of the year and then use it for the next report? There are a set of core reports that are done annually, but other reports are done more like every two years or every three years. And in some cases, they'll decide on a theme for a particular year. So if you click on the drop down, you know, you'll see that we don't quite yet have the 2023 annual report, but you can see we've already done sub reports with such as the report on seniors and the report on mental and behavioral health. And then of course, we'll have an upcoming annual report. So different reports will come out and some different ones will be done. You know, it might be, you know, biannually or every five years or in some case, every 10 years. This is a senior report uh, showing, frankly, a alarming set of trends among older Americans. And some of these things are surprising because some people think that opioids and some of these drug deaths are more highly skewed to younger populations. But as you look at some of these summaries and you read some of these infographics, you know, this is something all of us should be aware of that, you know, the, the you know, the scourge of, of opioids and, and drug deaths is certainly something that is, uh, has, has definitely started to appear more often in, in older populations. And some of that data 
has come as a surprise to certain people. So uh, again, these are specific reports. We wouldn't have done a senior report every year, but this sub-report on seniors is one that was done in for this year. Follow-on question. So who's the audience for this and do they do anything about it? So as the largest healthcare organization, probably globally, but you know, United, as well as, you know, some of your delivery arms. What are you doing about this? You know, are you using this data to inform, you know, um, medical payment policy as well as care delivery models? And who else is your audience for this? And do they care? You know, I'm sure they care, but what do they do? Like, what's the action? You know, this is alarming data, but if people just look at it and go, this is alarming data, then we're not making any advances and how we're addressing these problems. So we, as a, as you said, not only are we a payer, but we're a care delivery organization. We not only make this data available publicly, so any healthcare group across the country can take this data and make their own decisions and design their own interventions and their own actions. We at United have a, a long series of actions that we take based on this data. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one of the things that you know I'm personally involved in is we took some of the trends in opioid data and the deaths regard, you know, resulting from that. And we actually did a deep study into the types of providers that are, I wouldn't quite call it fraud, but bordering on overprescribing. And we have actually launched campaigns to do investigations and do audits of some of those and to actually find those pockets of real alarming rates of opioid medications. And we've, in some cases, changed policies. We've, in some cases, you know, withdrawn that person's coverage or privileges and things like that. Um, I'll give you another example. We had a, we had a study Again, directly as a result of this kind of data that we found a huge amount of uh, pain interventions and injections and things like facet injections and spinal injections and branch blocks and things like that, which was sort of a runaway area, not only of abuse, but also in some cases um, targeting older populations. Like, you know, you'll have certain populations that are not only subject to you know, certain types of pain, but they're also, let's face it, they're also vulnerable to, in some cases, almost like predatory practice sorts of things. We've changed the coverage and changed the policy for certain types of procedures that maybe our data said that's only clinically you know, clinically necessary for certain types of conditions. And we found examples where this is really almost like a runaway cash cow for some providers. And we've, we've taken steps to, uh, to address that. So these two things work in tandem, not only the reporting and the insights, but a whole arm of the company that designs these sorts of, of policies. In some cases, it is outreach and information. Um, if we are finding that there are certain states or counties or areas where they aren't keeping up with their maybe their childhood immunizations or they aren't keeping up with their screenings, we're a large enough organizations. We can do outreach. We can launch campaigns. We can do sort of mass mailings and emails and digital outreach and things like that. 
Did you know your United Healthcare coverage enables you and your child to get free screenings, free, um, you know, free immunizations? Here's a link. Here's where you can go. A lot of those things are ultimately designed to help our, you know, our members be be healthier. And, and ultimately, that's really the whole mission for that for the company. On that note, I want to show you, one quick glimpse and then I will pause for other questions. I think I mentioned um, childhood immunization status. This is just a quick glimpse into the types of data analytics and the types of explorations we can do by state, by score. Somebody might want to, I don't know, we might have a, a regional director in maybe North Carolina. They want to look at North Carolina and they want to look at the various counties in North Carolina. They perhaps want to go target certain populations. They might want to talk to providers in that area. You know, we can do state level, we can do by age, we can do by gender, we can do by, you know, reported um, ethnicity and race. A lot of this, not only do you build all of the, the detailed, I mean, extensive data analytics need to do these sorts of explorations, but as that question just implied, you know, similar to this kind of exploration and similar to what we're doing with America's health rankings, then you have a series of actions that you take as a result of that. And that becomes really part of, of really delivering on the mission statement of helping our members lead better lives. So that was really what I wanted to cover. Um, it wasn't really meant to be a plug, but it was if you're interested in learning more about um, this sort of uh, healthcare data, health disparities, areas of concern, things that are going well, things that aren't going well, I'd encourage you to go to americashealthrankings.org. If you have any particular things that you want to maybe explore even deeper, feel free to reach out to me directly. This is the kind of thing that I, I spend a lot of time working on. It's not, you know, it's not my entire job, but it's at least a part of my job as one of the um, senior uh, data experts and clinical data analysts here at the company. So, so I guess I'll pause there for any other questions. Yeah, I, I have another question. So at one of our previous meetings, I had talked about how hard it is to get SDOH data, right? That it's not highly structured. You know, I mean, they're starting to do Z codes, but there's some things that just aren't, there's no normalized terminology, no standards around it. So what do you find the hardest data set to sort of both acquire and normalize to use for your reporting? So we have not had very much luck with Z codes. Um, they just aren't really widely adopted to the point that they're going to appear frequently on claims and in other data sources. So it's not to say that it isn't eventually going to become the standard on how to do it. It's just to say that right now, if you just use that, you have such a tiny sliver of the population that I don't know that anybody would be comfortable drawing any meaningful conclusions from that data. I think I shared in a previous call that we have, I don't know if I want to use the word struggled, we have grappled with this ongoing debate as to whether or not using imputed data is something that is, is reliable. Now, sometimes using imputed data and almost like an algorithm to 
generate the most likely data for SDOH can be used on very, very large scale population level analytics. I will say that we as a company have started to move away from that as a general strategy. And so to answer your question, that's probably one of the areas that we are almost in a process of saying the real way that you can get reliable data is to get it directly from members. Just like we heard in the previous speaker, getting the data directly from providers, be it, you know, opt-in data, survey data, filling out data, whatever. That's the kind of data that we want to get from our members. We're starting to get over, I think, a little bit of the hesitancy that people have about sharing their data, but yet that's always going to be there. Like, how are you using this? How do I know that you aren't going to use this in some nefarious way? That that concern and that suspicion will always be there, but we are starting to see an, uh, an uptick. You know, I think when we started, we had something like 4%, 5%, and we have goals, you know, I think we're maybe closer to 20, 25% coverage of self-reported SDOH data, self-reported race, ethnicity data, and maybe ultimately we'll get much closer to like 50%, 60%, things like that. So I know that was a long answer, but the challenge is on one hand, getting uh, making a decision that to really do anything meaningful, you need self-reported data and then the mechanism to get that self-reported data. What rewards do you do? What incentives do you do? Hey, you know, we'll give you like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a, a gift or we'll drop your, you know, your 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 fee for the month or some sort of thing as an encouragement to get people to fill that out. Uh, Mark, I've got a question. Um, it was really sparked by your lack um, uh, sort of hotspot map with health disparities. Um, you obviously have a huge amount of data right into the, the you know the county level. Are you um, actively working with federal, state, local governments that also have a vested interest in knowing about their communities and knowing that there's a particular uh, spot that that needs uh, a, a attention or, or s some other action? Absolutely. Yes. And in fact, what we would do is we have now you can imagine there are different groups that are very interested in this data because they might you know, hold some risk about that population, you know, the, you know, CMS. So like when we have, you know, Medicaid data and Medicare data and all that, we have those regional areas where groups within, I mean, we used to have massive calls and we still have massive calls where there's 40, 50 people in a room and I'll be going through the different groups and we'll be talking about what are the most maybe alarming discoveries we have. What is a pocket when you combine maybe a county and some demographics? You know, what's the worst county in the nation for childhood immunizations? What's the worst state in the country for the Medicaid population having their annual screenings for maybe colonoscopies or mammograms, or whatever. It's essentially our entire organization's mission to not only develop the analytics around it to discover that, but then we have a whole network by which, you know, that data is disseminated out to the people that can take some action, do education, do outreach. I mean, we've even heard stories of people almost set up tables in like, you know, community centers to do education and outreach and try to encourage people to go for flu shots and immunizations and screenings and all that. I mean, again, again, that's one of the benefits of being at such a large company is we do have the 
the bandwidth and the coverage and the people that we can turn these insights into real actions. Uh, fantastic. Um, and you, know, you did mention um, that you have all of this data on the sort of prescribing acti activity of providers in particular around, uh, you know, uh, controlled substances. Are you taking that data and proactively, I know you met, you mentioned you can sanction, do you, do you start with sort of education and saying, Hey, we've noticed a trend um, you know, your prescribing habits are vastly different from your peers. Um, and then, of course, if you don't see a change in behavior, I'm assuming that you work with state licensing boards and and folks like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's all. That's exactly how it all works. Um, I'll give you one little anecdote as to this type of data getting turned into some real action that I take pride in because I know that means we are literally saving lives. And that is we found some correlations between certain types of prescribing practices for opioids uh, that were leading to much higher increases among populations that were already susceptible for behavioral health, anxiety, and depression, and all of those. Now, some folks in the room or some other physicians might say that's already well known or that's already been studied. There had been studies done. It had never been fully quantified, explored, and proven beyond any reasonable doubt. And you can Google this now. We, as a result of that piece of work, have changed state-level prescribing guidelines, and I think New Jersey was the first one that fully went into effect, that prior to this work, there were your normal opioid prescribing guidelines, and I think there were like five steps. There is now a sixth step, or maybe it was four and now it's five. There is now a new step that says for a de novo, you know, never before prescribed with an opioid, the physician must subject the patient to a behavioral health screening because of the identified correlations between members that are already susceptible to anxiety and depression. Those people taking even the most basic opioid prescription, maybe for a wisdom tooth or a knee or whatever, and then ultimately getting, you know, addicted to the point that they have substance abuse disorders and all kinds of other side effects. I know that isn't exactly what you asked, but that's an example of taking data, taking insights, designing a series of steps, and then turning it into real action and impacting and saving lives. I uh, appreciate that. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And in fact, you can if you if you Google the study, my colleague, uh, Dr. Scott Metzger, was actually the one that uh, published that those findings. And that led to those state of New Jersey. And we have a, a couple other state boards that are considering those changes. So we even have outreach to those state medical boards. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Yep. OK, Nancy, Linda, I think I'm done. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Incredibly Interesting. Fascinating work you do, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Sometimes stressful, but always interesting. Yes, thank you. Sometimes I find myself like finding things where 
you know, I, I don't know who to, you know, I want to get up on, on a hill and scream it out and say, come on, this is, this is data that we need to take action on. There is some, the very, very actionable kinds of findings that we get. And, um, you know, when you're sitting on this type of data, all the, I mean, it's not just that you have the opportunity to do it. You almost have the responsibility to do it. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part, right? It's like, then what do you do when you find something like that? Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thanks everybody. This has been the collective voice of health IT a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT communities connect, collaborate, and create solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.